You are listening to Night Talk, giving you depth and texture to the conversations that matter. 25 minutes to the top of the hour. Well, you're listening to Night Talk. My name is Oliver Dixon. Thank you so much for your time this evening. Really appreciate it. So, you know, when you post inflammatory, hateful, um, attacking stuff on things like Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube, that they are supposed to remove it, and they often do remove it. But it seems like they're less likely to remove it if said post is an ad, something that you pay the platform for, right? So you'll go onto Facebook, you'll create an ad, um, and you'll run the ad and you'll pay a certain amount of money for it. They are supposed to approve the ad before it goes live. One would think that part of approving the ad means that they will take a look at the content of the ad. There was a time where Facebook, for instance, was very diligent about not approving ads uh, that are political uh, political campaign related that specifically attack other people. Do you recall why? Because of the uh, uh, Cambridge Analytica saga. Remember all of that about how they were manipulating um, how Cambridge Analytica was manipulating democracies around the world using Facebook. Remember all of that? Well, they appeared before uh, the Antitrust Committee in Congress in the U.S. and action was taken. But if you were to run an ad that is targeted at women, for instance, one that is dehumanizing women, one that propo- uh, proposes, purports, and advocates for violence against women, one that uh, is misogynistic and sexist in nature, chances of that ad passing are quite high. Chances of that ad staying on the platform for quite a while and being seen by millions of people before it's eventually removed or flagged and then removed are also quite high. How do we know this? Because Global Witness and the Legal Resource Center, they conducted an experiment to that effect and they found that the vast majority of these really problematic ads, which they crafted for the purposes of the experiment, passed. Cheryl, da- uh, Cheryl Das, who's an attorney at the Legal Resource Center, joins us for this conversation. C- Cheryl, good evening. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Uh, how did the idea for this experiment originate and how was it designed and conducted? Uh, thanks, Oliver. Thanks for having me. I, we, this is one of several investigations that Global Witness has done independently of the LRC. Um, but we've conducted two investigations with Global Witness. They've used the same methodology across many different countries, um, and all, you know, had the same results. Our first inve- investigation was around anti-migrant hate speech on, 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 on three platforms, which is Meta, TikTok, and, and Google. Um, and this investigation centered around the high levels of online abuse targeting female journalists in the South African context. Um, and so this is why we chose this particular investigation to run within the South African context. Yeah. So you uh, ran or at least attempted to run 40 ads on Meta and TikTok and within 24 hours, all 40 of them were approved. On YouTube, it was slightly different. Um, talk to us about the process of this. So, the, you know, the methodology is pretty standard. What we, as you rightly said in your introduction, um, it's very difficult to, to actually test user content um, because even though 
user content also goes through moderation. It ha- happens after the fact, you know, after it's been posted. Yeah. So the only way to really test the first line of defense against hate speech on these platforms was through advertising, through advertisements. Sure. Um, and, and so we created these advertisements using real life examples of journalists from South Africa that have experienced online abuse. And for anybody that is online as a way of the main journalists that have been targeted, um, we've actually had very in-depth conversations with, with these journalists to understand the nature and the impact of online hate on them. And they presented us with certain examples that they've experienced. And we use that to create an advertisement um, which was also associated with very graphic um, videos that uh, also would not pass um, these platforms' community standards or safeguarding standards. And what we had done was we had um, we had uh, designed these adverts and translated them from English into Afrikaans, Kos and Zulu, which is the most spoken languages in South Africa. Yeah. We used, as I said, real world. Examples of misogynistic hate speech. We edited merely to, to clarify grammar and language. Nothing was coded or difficult to interpret, interpret, and it was clearly violated the platform's advertising policies. Um, and these um, these adverts all targeted women specifically. They were violent, dehumanizing, um, expressed inferiority, contempt, and disgust. For example, in one of the adverts, we ref- in a few adverts, we refer to women as prostitutes, psychopaths, or vermin, and we call for them to be beaten and killed. Now, this by it will by no means would pass, you know, on paper um, the content moderation policies of all these platforms. And as you rightly said, um, nearly all of the test adverts were approved for publication by all four platforms. Um, Meta and and TikTok were actually approved the ad within 24 hours. YouTube flagged some of the adverts. Uh, 21 out of the 40 were, were, were flagged following an automated review, but they didn't, they didn't pull the adverts. They merely said it would be shown to a limited audience. Yeah. Um, and, and TikTok approved all, um, X, sorry, approved all of them aside from two English adverts, and this was really because we, we, we tried to test or conduct further tests on their platform's approval process, and that resulted in them rejecting two of the English ads. Did you guys test for doxing? No, we didn't. That wasn't part of the, uh, the test. Um, that would involve um, the journalists actually um, uh, 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 lodging a dispute with with Facebook or Meta or um, all of the other platforms around the fact that their personal information had, right. been, had been put on, on the social media platforms. I asked that because I want to take you back to the 2019 case uh, of Karima Brown versus the EFF, where Karima yes. Brown had received death threats and rape threats from EFF supporters after a targeted yes. tweet by Julius Malema against Karima Brown, containing, by the way, her personal contact information. The court, of course, yes. slammed the EFF in that uh, case. Is that the sort of testing that was done? No. So what we were looking really at is a platform accountability rather than, you know, the user uh, 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 culpability. So the person that posted the personal invita- 
personal information on 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 the platforms would be the person that would be the transgressor yeah and and would be um liable for you know uh for, for hate speech or any other consequential damages resulting from the doxing of that journalist yeah so this test was really on platform accountability because we want to stop that from happening in the first place we don't want you know we want to respect people's freedom of expression but in, but we cannot monopolize or monetize the spreading or amplification sure. of hate speech and uh, incitements to violence um and so this is why we're looking at making we're asking platforms to better resource their content moderation policies or their safeguarding and trust mechanisms to ensure that those types of things are not um uh, uh you know uh, are not um commonplace within a, a user's experience on social media do all these platforms have community standards and content moderation guidelines that are against hate speech uh, in all forms all of them do um what what the one thing that i can say is that most of these policies was designed within the united states uh, context because a lot of these p- platforms are headquartered there yeah. and 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 they really pander to the regulations of the United States and the interpretations of um freedom of expression laws and hate speech um there is a major concern that there's a lot of lot of uh, a large divergence in how social media corporations treat users around the world with some yeah. platforms appearing to put more investment in content moderation in the US rather than other countries like South Africa and it's particularly concerning as we see that women experience online violence at higher rates in the global majority countries so that is what you know you know you know global activists are, are talking about is the global inequity uh, in terms of uh, trust and safeguarding mechanisms for people outside of the global north or people in the global majority what sanctions should these platforms face as let's speak about south africa as an example should uh, such ads uh, which violate the guidelines uh, pass so so currently there's you know south africa has very limited legislation that can hold big tech accountable um for um real life harm caused by these platforms and we haven't really had a very good test case around whether our courts would have jurisdiction for example to um or for for a user that has been harmed through the platforms lack of implementation of their safeguarding policies to have recourse for compensation for damages for real life harm caused against major corporations like meta and and uh, twitter and and google so there hasn't really been a test case and and there so there's two issues the, the the one issue is around there hasn't been an enabling legislative environment yeah. in which we can actually hold them accountable that's the first thing and then the second thing is a jurisdiction aspect because most of these companies even though they operate in south africa they are headquartered outside of south africa and particularly in the in the united states that has very protective laws to protect big tech from liabilities for harms caused on their platforms um and so that's the difficulties it's not to say that we as activists are not pursuing those angles and and trying to ensure that south african users 
experience the same sort of safeguarding mechanisms than users uh, within the global north. But and I think that's what we are striving to, to achieve. But you would need to access internal data for you to make that case in court, right? Um, and it's unlikely that these institutions would hand over that sort of internal data, especially if there's a jurisdictional uh, limitation that you face. It is. That's true. That's the fact. But it should not be an obstacle. There's uh, various cases that have been tested now. For example, in Kenya, um, there's uh, an, an application in Kenya against Facebook, um, who's, um, you know, going to your example about doxing. It, it, it so happened during the unrest in Ethiopia that a certain person was doxed. His, his information was put on, on, on the platform. Um, his son had reported this to Facebook. They did not take it down, and it ended up that his father was killed as a result of that. Um, and, and so um, there's, there's, a, there's a currently a case for compensation, not just compensation, but looking at the issue around jurisdiction that, uh, you know, people outside or within the global majority should have recourse to some sort of avenue of justice when it comes to uh, online harms that have caused by platforms who really are hell-bent on putting profits over people. Yeah. Uh, what do you hope uh, to be – what do you hope that the outcome of this, this investigation and experiment uh, does in South Africa, for instance? It wasn't an experiment for its own sake, right? Um, I'm assuming you're hey. hoping the right legislature see it, uh, that there are some questions, that they do some stuff, that they, in fact, you know – uh, summon these companies, uh, these big tech companies before parliament, uh, so that some hearing can take place on the basis of this. Uh, talk to us about what now. Absolutely. I think you've hit the nail on the hammer. It's the, it's, or hit the hammer on the nail. It's, it's around government paying attention that they need to protect South African users. These corporations are making profit out of South Africans and, and the South African government needs to protect users. And that's in the form of either holding them before parliament to ask these questions around equitability and, um, and, and resource equitability. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then secondly, it's around also informing the public that that they need to be aware of or become more digitally literate around the online harms that are caused by these companies. And third is to make the online companies also pay attention. Yeah. We are part of a, a, a coalition, a global coalition of over 170 members around the world that have been asking or putting pressure on big tech to actually make their platforms uh, safer and more equitable, and to put human rights over profits. And one of our biggest asks is for them to actually do impact assessments within each country, particularly next year when over 65 countries are holding elections. Mm, mm. And what we're asking for is for them to put safeguards in place to protect the integrity of the, uh, of the elections, including our elections here in South Africa. We do need to pay attention to it. You know, the fact that journalists cannot operate uh, in a manner uh, that doesn't, you know, um, uh, allow them to freely report on corruption and uh, against, uh, you know, any political party or any individual is actually a slant on, on the freedom of press. And it's one democratic institution that we need to protect because people need to know the truth. Yeah. And, and get the truth 
through brave journalism, and we need to protect our journalists yeah. um, from these types of online abuse. Give me a call. I'm taking your reaction. Zero eight six triple zero two zero three two. Zero eight six triple zero two zero three two. You can also send me a WhatsApp voice note in reaction to this conversation on zero six one four. One zero four one zero seven. We're going to take a short break. On the other side of this, we continue the conversation. FM leading the conversation. Night talk Monday to Thursdays, ten to midnight. Eight minutes to the top of the hour. I'm in conversation with Cheryl Das, attorney at the Legal Resource Centre, and we're talking about the lapses and inequitable protection of users on social media. Uh, when it comes to the content moderation and community guidelines on these platforms. Cheryl, so there is a need to make sure that users are protected in our lawmakers and uh, uh, need to ensure that that is the case. But we've got various pieces of legislation in the country that already speaks to this. The Electronic Communications Act, uh, we have the Hate Speech Bill, which is an ongoing piece of legislature that is in discussion in Parliament. Uh, but we have legal precedents around hate speech and how that can be prosecuted in South Africa. The Human Rights Commission have done a lot of, has done a lot of work in regards to that. Um, is, is there a need to create entirely new laws or is there just a need to make sure that the laws we already have speak to this unique problem? Because oftentimes social media companies claim that, look, we're a technology company. We're not a publisher, right, <laughs> like a newspaper. Uh, we're a moderator. And so we need to be judged in that sense. We can't be held responsible for what um, our for what our users post. And insofar as uh, there are lapses that happen, and they do happen because it's not a perfect system, uh, we do not take liability responsibility for that. Um, you know, we are corrective. We're meeting you halfway. Mark Zuckerberg once told Congress, but you can't hold us accountable for it. Given that that's the typical response you get for them, do we need new laws or do we have, do we already have the right laws? We just need to make sure that they work. We need new laws. I mean, that is the short answer. It's not near enough sufficient. You know, South African users are, times have changed. You know, we've, we started with print media, um, which was the main source of information that people got. And we moved on to television and broadcasting. And those are covered by the Broadcasting Complaints Commission, by the Broadcasting Act, by the Electronic Communications Act. Um, all of those things are covered except the biggest form, the new information ecosystem that is taking over the world, basically. Technology or technolo- technological advancements has made information, this information environment, a very lucrative business. Um, so what you see on social media and what users are actually looking towards when they're looking at social media is news content. But social media platforms are not regarded as broadcasters. Yeah. And that's where the issue lies. The issue lies in the fact that they do not, they are, they, they are not regulated. The EU felt it, um, necessary to regulate, um, uh, the, uh, social media platforms in terms of privacy rights, data protection, as well as uh, transparency in how their algorithms work, their recommender systems work, um, around their business model to understand um, how, inf- how uh, uh, information is curated 
on 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 platforms and what it what it ensures is that 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 um big tech companies are held accountable for what is posted um online in terms of the veracity of the information the disinformation is a huge issue that can manipulate and influence people influence political discourse influence elections all of those things are happening not in mainstream media that is highly regulated but on social media which has become the most popular news yeah. source not in south africa itself but globally how does content moderation happen is it human beings that moderate each piece of reported or flagged content or is it just machines doing it and hopefully they get it right so it's both um each platform says they have an, an AI um, uh, uh, content moderation filter, and and they say that it's curated in a way to identify hate speech in the way that they community stands interpreted and and define it. And um, after it passes the AI filter, it goes to a human content moderator. But what these tests and these tests, as I said, with Global Witness, that has tested various other platforms. It shows that social media corporations automated and AI-informed content moderation systems are not fit for purpose if even the most extreme and violent forms of hate speech are approved for publication. This is a clear violation of their own policies. So while there's new technologies that are vital for moderating content at scale, they're not sophisticated enough to replace and justify a lack of investment in human moderators and fact-checkers. And what social media companies have done is actually reduce the amount of human content moderators and fact-checkers. And they've done this um, in a way, again, in an inequitable manner. So the most of the investments in human content moderators and fact-checkers are happening within the uh, the global north context rather than the global majority context. So and and for example x had had fired you know the majority of the human content moderators yeah. when elon musk took over so that is the issue the issue is that they do have ai technology that can moderate at scale but they have limited or reduced the amount of human content moderators and fact checkers and the problem with the way that the ai um AI recommender systems or AI algorithms, the algorithms have been designed, has been designed with the input with, of, of U.S. regulators and, and, and um, within the U.S. context. So language and context has not been factored in in terms of resourcing people that can fact check and that can also moderate content within a specific geographic location like South Africa. So we saw that English ads were disapproved, but... Um, but, but, you know, as in the same ads, the very same thing in Corsa and Zulu within the, within the South African context yeah. were approved. Yeah. So, so that shows that both systems are flawed um, and it's really around a lack of investment and, and a lack of uh, training um, around particular cultural and language contexts in countries in the global majority. Yeah, um, this was a collaborative effort with Global Witness, but to the LRC right now, uh, an organization for which you work for, is there a public interest litigation opportunity here so that we have that one important big test case? We are pursuing various avenues. The one, as you said, is trying to influence regulators in South Africa 
to pay attention. The second is to get Parliament uh, committed to actually, uh, you know, holding these big tech uh, companies accountable. And the third is if that fails, that we do need um, litigation. We do need to test our courts. You know, our South Africans deserve access to justice. And if there are clear violations here that cause real-life harm to South Africans or to people living in South Africa, then they must have recourse to access to justice. We can't go and litigate out of the American courts. We will not win. Yeah. We we need our courts to stand up and pay attention and to ensure that our rights and our constitution um, are as upheld for companies that are clearly making profits out of South Africans and are clearly operating within South Africa. Yeah, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much for your time this evening. I really, really do appreciate it. Cheryl Das, who is with Thank the Legal all. Resource Center. I'm taking your reaction to that. Give me a call, 86 2032